Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for October 1st. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we hear from Brittany Carwell of B&D Genetics in Cross County about the business's major new move into the European market. We also get an update on the 2020 pecan crop from Chaz Davis of Davis Pecan in Little River County. And we spend a morning at Hicks Family Farms near Cabot as they work to follow COVID-19 safety guidelines in preparing their annual pumpkin patch and corn maze for visitors. First, Keith Sutton is joined by Brittany Carwell of B&D Genetics in Cherry Valley. On September 4th, the company became the first in the U.S. to ship frozen goat semen to international clients in the European Union. Carwell tells us why that's a big deal. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, it's my great pleasure to have as my guest uh, Brittany Carwell, who is uh, one of the founders and co-owners of B&B Genetics in Cherry Valley over in Cross County. Hi, Brittany. How are you today? Oh, doing good. We're uh, really glad you had some time to visit with us because some important things are going on with your business. Uh, let's uh, tell folks who don't know a little bit about B&B Genetics and what y'all do there in Cherry Valley. Sure. So B&D Genetics uh, is a company my husband and I, uh, David, uh, started in 2013. Uh, We met in graduate school and have a background in livestock reproduction, which is why um, we started the company. We wanted to do something utilizing our degrees. And what we do primarily, uh, we are a full-service small ruminant, uh, and that means just sheep and goats. Uh, We also do some deer stuff. Uh, reproduction company, and we have a clinic in Cherry Valley, uh, and then we also have a mobile lab where David travels all around the nation uh, offering the same reproductive services. And so uh, just earlier this month, around the first part of September, uh, something uh, real important happened. Y'all made the first frozen goat semen shipment from the United States uh, and exported it to international clients in the European Union. And that's a really big deal, isn't it, Brittany? Yeah, so um, our export program started, uh, I think, two years ago um, because Export of semen and embryos, which are the products that our company um, collects or makes, um, was not available to U.S. uh, sheep and goat producers uh, like it's commonly done in the beef, pork, or or even horse industries. Um, So we worked with um, USDA, and we uh, received our certification as the first multi-country um, sheep and, and goat semen and embryo collection center uh, in the U.S. Um, yeah, so here we go, roadblock. <laughs> <Blame part. laughs> That's all right. Uh, but anyway, so we um, received our multi-country certification, including the European Union, uh, two years ago. Uh, the European Union certification, like with many un- other industries, uh, was definitely a very strenuous process. 
Um, but we got it done, and then we completed our first project and shipment to the EU around the 1st of September of this year. And I guess it's it's hard for people like me who who don't uh, understand genetics so well, but what is it about this uh, event being able to export to the European Union that makes it such a special deal? Um, is it uh, in what ways will it help folks in Europe and here? Sure. So this uh, particular shipment was going to some registered boar goat breeders. And so what they were wanting to do is import um, premium American boar goat genetics to introduce to their herds to better the genetic quality of them. So basically they wanted to introduce outside um, genetics uh, to their herds to make them better. And so this is really exciting because uh, this time was just a frozen semen um, shipment, which they'll be doing um, AI with. Uh, but in the future, we hope to do uh, embryo projects where we're actually shipping frozen embryos, which is a whole complete animal. Um, and we can do this with sheep and goats. That's, uh, that's something that for many of us is almost like science, science fiction. <laughs> being able yeah. to uh, transport a live animal actually across uh, across the ocean to be used. Uh, yeah, y'all y'all been doing this for a while now, and you don't just ship to Europe, right? Are there other places overseas you also ship? Oh yeah, sure. So we uh, have sent uh, goat semen to. Uh, St. Vincent, which is an island in the Caribbean, and actually I'm looking at papers on my desk for a shipment to Jamaica, Nepal, and then we're working on another one going to France here shortly. Wow. So, I mean, y'all are in Little Cherry Valley, a town of six or 700 people in Cross County, and doing all this important international work. That that must be exciting, knowing that the company you helped found with your husband is able to to make these big achievements like that. Yeah, we're we're very very uh, excited about it. Um, that it's kind of odd when you think of of social media and international uh, semen and embryo sales, but uh, just the post of that European Union shipment. We got uh, actually most of these leads that I'm talking about right now to these different countries uh, from international clients that saw our Facebook and Instagram post and then followed up saying, if you can go to the European Union, then we want you to ship to our country as well. So it's pretty cool to see the snowball kind of roll uh, and grow as it goes downhill. Um, so I really think that that shipment is going to be a catalyst for a lot of international trade of American genetics. And y'all are, are working extensively with sheep and goats. Uh, you don't see a lot of sheep in Arkansas or even the South. What what was it about those particular animals that uh, y'all really like working with them? 
Sure. Uh, so actually, that that's all David's fault. Um, he grew <laughs> up in he grew up in uh, the boar goat industry. So he and his family raised registered boar goats when he was in high school and college, and they were very successful at it. Uh, so he was exposed to um, a lot of uh, these procedures that he then learned uh, or then perfected in graduate school um, at an early age. Uh, me, I had no background uh, in sheep and goats. I grew up on a cattle farm. Um, so when we started our business, uh, we naturally kind of drifted to his background and his contacts within the boar goat industry uh, because it's, you know, what it he knew. Uh, and those were friends that were willing to, to give us a chance uh, to prove ourselves, which we did. Uh, and so, again, that snowball grew those contacts, and, you know, you move from that to maybe uh, another breed. And it's very much kind of a, a word-of-mouth thing because people talk about, um, you know, your services, how you did your customer service, stuff like that. Uh, and if you do well, they refer you, and if not, uh, you know, they don't. So... Uh, we started there, and it just kind of grew to where now we work with uh, all the goat breeds, uh, and we're getting more heavily into sheep right now. Can you, uh, without having to get too scientific, could you uh, perhaps uh, tell us a little bit about the procedure, say, uh, to harvest an embryo for shipment overseas? Sure. Uh, so to do that, uh, an analogy I use a lot that people are, are kind of a little bit about would be like human IVF. Um, and so we have a donor, and she's deemed genetically valuable for whatever reason. It may be production, it may be pedigree, or, or some of both. Uh, but then we synchronize her the same would for that. Uh, and you give her a medication to make her use more uh, oats or eggs than she normally would. Um, these donors, uh, you know, sheep and goats should normally ovulate uh, one, two, or three uh, naturally to where they would have one, two, or three babies. Uh, and the medications we give them will make them uh, produce maybe 20. Uh, so then you would mate them, and then you can collect the, the embryos themselves either surgically or non-surgically. Uh, we get them a di in a dish, uh, I find them, and then we freeze them in a cryoprotected solution, and then they're stored in liquid nitrogen. And I guess they uh, go in a liquid nitrogen tank all the way to their destination? Yeah, so once we get them frozen, uh, the semen and embryos are both frozen and stored in liquid nitrogen. Uh, and as long as they're stored properly and the tank's maintained properly, they're good indefinitely. So you can thaw semen from 10 or 20 years ago and still use it to create pregnancies and then the same with embryos. Wow, that's interesting. That, that so think of, yeah, so think of kind of like Austin Powers and suspended animation. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do you find uh, donor animals that are those top quality animals that you want to use? So again, for that, um, with the boar goats, we rely heavily on David. Uh, he was one of the youngest, well, he was the youngest certified uh, boar goat judge. 
uh, that has passed that certification. Uh, so he still actively judges shows. Uh, oh, and then cool. he's also on uh, the American Boar Goat Society or Association um, Board of Directors. Uh, so he has lots of contacts within that industry. Uh, and then for the other breeds, um, through doing our domestic and mobile services uh, through the years, we've been able to identify uh, some of the, the top clients that we have in each of the different breeds. Uh, so we rely on them for animal acquisition. Um, and then honestly, uh, what we're doing now is a bunch of um, custom collection projects. So right now, uh, we have a barn of probably 25 plus animals uh, that are all doing projects for Australia. And those animals, the clients in Australia actually selected themselves um, for whatever reason, pedigree performance. Uh, you know, whatever they deemed uh, their most desirable traits. And so for them, they said, you know, Brittany, there's a Nigerian dwarf goat in California. I want to put it in your export program. And so for those custom projects, uh, they identify them themselves, and we make it happen. So you actually uh, bring some of these animals to the facility there in Cherry Valley. Oh, yeah. All of our export animals come from other places. Uh, this summer, we've got stuff from Oregon all the way to Maine and, and anywhere in between. Well, I know uh, being from Cherry Valley myself and knowing David's family, uh, this makes me very proud what y'all have done that I, I know you and you're from Cherry Valley or your husband is. And uh, sure. I know everybody there must also be very proud to have this uh, internationally renowned facility in, in a small town in eastern Arkansas. Does, does that make yeah. you feel really good? I mean, I would think it does. Yeah, so we're we're very excited. Um, being from a small town has a, a ton of advantages that we probably wouldn't get in uh, a more populated city. Um, Cross County has been very good to us. Um, and then also we're very excited because because of this export program, even during um, corona or COVID, where a lot of businesses had to shut their doors, um, our export program has grown by leaps and bounds. And rather than cut jobs during the pandemic, we've actually added, I don't know, three or four local jobs as a direct result of this export program. That's so we're actually hiring hiring and uh expanding so we're we're very very blessed. Well, I know everyone uh wishes you well here in Arkansas. It's uh, great to hear a good news story and uh, this is certainly that. Can we tell folks what are uh, methods they can get in touch with y'all if they'd like to find more information? Sure. So we have our website. It's www.bdgenetics.com, as in Brittany David. Uh, we weren't super original with our name when we came up with it. Um, or we have uh, our Facebook page if you, you want to follow us on social media. And I know uh, you post regularly on Facebook, and uh, folks can also learn about some of the other businesses y'all have there. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time today 
to tell us this uh, great story about what y'all are doing. Thank you so yeah, very no, much. No, we appreciate it. Next, Greg Patterson talks to Chaz Davis of Davis Pecan in Little River County. Last year, they processed more than 5 million pounds of pecans. This year's harvest will get underway by November 1st, and Davis tells us how things are looking. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've got Chaz Davis, and Chaz and his family run Davis Pecans. It's near the Red River Valley, and Chaz, welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you, Greg. So tell us, what's the uh, pecan outlook for this year, the coming harvest? Well, you know, we're we're 95% natives in our area, you know, just due to the, along the Red River. And uh, we, um, it's, we had a record last year and, uh, you know, I've got some customers that's 90 years old and, um, you know, they've been in the farming industry all their life and growing pecans and they said last year was the best year they've ever had, you know, ever that they can know of. So, you know, uh, this year is going to be a little bit off from that. But, right. uh, you know, I think we're going to have a, maybe a decent year, but it's going to be off a little bit from last year. Now, Chaz, tell our listeners, because you, you mentioned that, you know, 95% is, is natives. When you say natives, what you're talking about, obviously, are native pecans. And, and tell us about native pecans versus, you know, some of the other types of pecans. What's the advantage of, of native pecans? Well, you know, your natives uh, are getting, you know, they're getting popular. You know, most people want the, the paper shell or the improved, you know, because they're easier to shell and, you know, easier to mess with at home. But the, our, our natives are, they're native to the to the earth. They're, they're the tree that, god put here so they're they're actually the best for the candy companies ice cream because they have uh, the meat is smaller it um it has more oil in it and but now it's it's taken off in uh like um the salad toppers they're using them for that a lot they're using them um in the nut mixes the trail mixes and stuff like that so you know the the natives uh they don't. They don't really require in our area. They don't require any any spraying or fungicides for you know funguses and all that like your improved varieties do. So you know that's that's kind of what we like the best. But you know that's that's what we have. So and those those natives have a real good flavor to them as well. Yeah, right. They got the best flavor. It's just hard as heck to get them cracked open and get whole pieces. I was I was going to ask you what's the downside to uh you know just a God put the tree there native nut because they are smaller tougher to get into and and so that can cause you some headaches as well. Well, you know you're you're shelling you know at the sheller, it's almost uh, it's almost double the cost to shell a native you know versus a an improved variety. You know your cost it's not quite double but it's. You know your shelling cost is is more, so you know they can't run as much quality quality quantity as they you know can of the paper shells. Right, right. Now and 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 it takes longer, you know, for those natives to produce. You know, you take a native tree and if you just let it grow, you know, you're looking at fifteen twenty years before you're really going to start seeing production where these new uh, improved varieties, you know, you know they'll start producing in a couple two or three years. But you know, within ten years, you got a you got a tree producing a lot. Sure, 
sure. Well, and and that's a big difference in in when you're trying to get a return on on your investment as well. Um, tell us, tell us you now. Now there were, you know, I've talked to pecan growers. Uh, they were selling a lot to China, you know, a couple of years ago, and then the the tariff and the trade war started and everything else. Has that affected your business at all? Oh yeah, you know, it, you know, China's our largest consumer, you know, and uh, there's some other countries catching up with them now. But uh, yes, you know, it's it's affected the price. It's affected, you know, what we can ship, and you know, so. You know, if they're not buying, we're not we don't we're not selling. Okay, so you have a lot of your product that, that moves overseas. Then, how about how about in the country? Um, who are you know like? Do you sell a certain percentage here uh, in the United States as well, or is it just local consumers? Now, see, you know, the 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 mar the that drive. The the westerns kind of set the market, which from down south, and you know that sets our market. But you know the con market is what it is, and you know that was one of my one of my deals is, you know, why are we getting docked on the natives? The natives don't leave country, you know. Oh, okay, 99 percent of, of the natives are consumed, you know, right here in the U.S. by exactly. most of your ice cream companies, your candy companies, and you know now you're your nut makes this. So you were getting docked on your natives, even though you were they weren't getting shipped overseas, and 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 obviously you felt that's not fair. Well, it's just like any other. We're, we're a commodity, and it's just like anything else. It's like with the beef industry, with the hog industry, with the chicken industry. You know, when something happens, it doesn't matter where it's at. You know what's fixing to happen. The price is going to fall, don't matter if it affects us here at home or not. Right, right. So, you know, about, we're, we're, we're no different. How about this, this whole uh, COVID pandemic? Um, has that affected you at all? I, I don't really see that it has because this came, you know, after we were pretty much done. It hasn't affected me, you know, any because, um, you know, we're essential. So, uh it really hasn't affected us, you know, not yet. Now, we're just fixing to start cranking up, you know, as far as harvesting and cleaning and all of that, in you know, in our area here. And, you know, it could. But I think we're going to be okay. Now, um, how about when you're doing your, uh, your sales, do you market? Uh, I'm sure you've got a website and everything else that you, you market your stuff to. Yeah, most of, you know, uh, 99% of our natives are sold wholesale to the shelling companies, you know, to be shelled and, um, you know, but we sell our improved varieties, you know, locally. We crack them, shell them, and we have chocolate covered. We have the pralines, uh, the turtles. Um, I even have a one of the famous well-known elves peanut patties which are made right there in Texarkana, uh, me and him have been experimenting with a pecan patty. And um, we're, Ooh, really that's, we're really thinking that's going to be a pretty good hot item this year. So, um, you okay, know, I'll, Chad, I'll have when, those. when does that come out? I've got to get some of those. We probably are going to open up our retail store 
uh, and I'm trying to set up a new retail, possibly in Ashdown, and um, we're probably going to open up oh mid October. He's already made a batch and some samples, and we've been kind of putting out some feelers, and uh, we're getting some really good feedback on it. Wow, that sounds really good. I'm a I'm a huge fan of pecans, whether it's ice cream, whether it's candy pecans. I like to make them with maple syrup and a little bit of red pepper sprinkled right. in there. And yeah. and of course, everybody, we got the holiday season rolling up, and pecan pies are, are famous as well. You've got a big, I mean, your operation is a family operation. Tell us about your family and 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 your your pecan business. Well, you know, I'm I'm sixth generation of my family farming, and uh, wow. my daughter's the seventh. And uh, you know, I can I can walk out the front door of my house and look across the road and see my, I guess it would be my great grandpa's grandpa's house. So, um, you know, it's we're we're still on. We, you know, we've lost some land. We've gained some land, but you know, uh, you know, we've we've been in the pond industry ever since. You know, they've had them, and it's just kind of got bigger and bigger. And uh, as I come around, me and my dad, we partnered up together. He was doing it, and I was helping him. And so I started getting a little bit more involved and a little bit more involved. And so we got bigger, and I bought half interest in it, and. Um, then we decided that we were either going to have to just quit or get bigger, and I, I, I like it so much that I decided we were going to, so we went in and we built a brand-new cleaning facility, a brand-new building, and, um, you know, the first year we were there, uh, you know, I kind of run it on paper, and Daddy's like, I don't know how we'll ever pay for it, but we're going to give it a try. And I said, well, we got to run 650,000 pounds to break even, pay the bank, and that's after expenses. And... The first year ran like a million one, and then we ran about I don't know six seventy five the next year, and then we ran right at two, and then last year we ran uh, right at five point four million pounds through our plant. Wow! In, in a little town, <laughs> in a little town of Richmond, Arkansas. So, <laughs> uh, well, but, it's it's wonderful to hear a story. Uh, from a farming family that is uh, has a rich tradition like yours, seventh generation, on you know coming up right now, Red River Valley. I mean, it it runs in your blood for sure. And if if uh, we appreciate you taking time to talk with us today, if people want to get some of your pecans, uh, what's your uh, website address? You can go to davispecan.com. Or you can look us up on Facebook, and um, you can, you know, we right now we currently have everything out of stock. But as soon as we uh, start getting it in, you know, then we will we will open up quantities online, and you can purchase online. We ship to we ship anywhere. We ship to all fifty states, so that's not a problem. And and when do you uh, when do you estimate harvest will begin for this season, Chaz? Oh. I'm usually one of the first ones to start. I, I kind of push it a little bit, but I guess I'm just, that's the way I do everything. My daddy's always trying to hold me back, and I'm always pushing him forward, so it kind of worked pretty good for us. But, you know, he's, that's all my dad's ever done is farmed all of his life, and he's been through the hard times, and 
you know, he's like, well, son, we need to wait. You know, you need to wait. And I'm like, well, I got this opportunity. And he's like, well, we need to wait. We need to wait. So, you know, and it, but it works good together. So, but I, I'm thinking probably end of October, you know, end of October, 1st of November, right there somewhere we'll be ready. Well, well, I'll definitely be ready to jump on your website and get some of those good pecans and, and try out that uh, new candy as well. He's Chaz Davis of Davis Pecan down in the Red River Valley of southwest Arkansas. And, Chaz, thank you for taking time to be on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, and we wish you the best during the harvest season. Yes, sir, Greg. Thank you, and thank Farm Bureau for everything they do for our economy. Finally, we get the lowdown on the challenges facing agritourism attractions in Arkansas during the pandemic from the operators of Hicks Family Farms near Cabot. Ten years ago, Hicks Family Farms established their annual pumpkin patch and corn maze and has become more popular each year. But because of COVID-19, owners Kevin and Rebecca Hicks have had to adapt health department protocols in order to continue the event, and this will significantly limit the number of visitors and school groups they can host. Ken Moore visited the farm and sat down with Kevin and Rebecca to talk about how they're adapting to this new normal. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I am at Hicks Family Farms between Lone Oak and Cabot. And Hicks Family Farms, for the last 10 years, has been inviting people out for their pumpkin patch and corn maze and family entertainment activity. And and they just invite families here like so many farm families do every October. This weekend, in a couple of days, they're going to be inviting the public out again, but... uh, Kevin and Rebecca Hicks are with me, uh, and I'm here pleased to be on their farm. It's a beautiful day today as we're visiting. And, uh, Kevin, thank you for inviting me out and let me come meet with you guys to talk about what you're going to be able to do. Now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I say in the middle. I hope we're on the back end of it, really. We've been dealing with this for about seven to eight months now. But uh, it's all changing for you guys with uh, your corn maze and pumpkin patch and how you been allowed by the state to uh, continue to conduct this this year. But before we get into what you're going to be doing this weekend and how things have changed, tell me a little bit about the history of your family farm. I know that you are a century farm. It dates back to 1913. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yes, we uh, um, got our records back to 1913 and became part of the century farm program. Uh, a lot of um, um, our farm has a uh, through the years has been in the dairy business that's uh that was where a lot of in this part of the community uh, there was a lot of dairies back then there they were uh, dairies and cotton as a kid that's what they that's what went on around here as as my family not as a kid for me i know my dad can tell you the day they they planted their last cotton he said it was the happiest day of his life yes yeah the cotton pickers were the kids and the parents so but yeah the, and then um from there mostly went into the dairy business through the 50s 60s 70s you know that was a big deal and this this community was dairy and we we stayed in the dairy business until 2010 and that's when we had this um wild ideal to invite people out to the farm and have a pumpkin patch and corn maze and things that back then although it was only 10 years ago you just it's crazy to think you don't want to invite the public to your farm that that's that's just the wrong thing to do well you know you were in the dairy business and sadly our dairy industry has just dwindled and dwindled through the decades through the years i mean we used to have over a thousand dairies in the state of arkansas we have less than 50 now 
in, in, in the whole state that are still active. Uh, so talk about how making that transition when it was a family, a part of your family legacy, getting out of the dairy business uh, had to be hard. Yes, um, that uh, people that uh, that have never been involved in something like that, that was like selling your kids. I mean, when you're in the dairy business, you're with them cows twice a day, every day, all day. And it was, it was like getting rid of part of our family. And it was something that, that we really didn't want to do, but we knew with the times changing that that wasn't, we weren't going to be able to uh, keep the farm going with the dairy. Sure. So farmers have to be willing to adapt, to uh, be diverse, to find something new. But this is the farm way of life. You didn't want to get out of farming altogether. So talk about how you transitioned from that. And now you have some cattle. You're raising some cattle. But you also have this agritourism enterprise. Yes, we um, we had beef cattle. And we just transitioned into total beef cattle. Uh, when we got out of the dairy business, we uh, we uh, decided that we would go all beef. And uh, we, we grew some row crop back then. We grow some more now. A lot of our crops that we grow, we use strictly for grinding and for our own feed um, to try to, to know where our, when we sell a, a beef packaged and ready to go to the consumer, the, we can, I mean, we know where their feed came from. We we know the whole story of that cow and, and hog. We we do uh, raise feeder hogs for um, for consumption. But you're not a commercial swine operation or anything, so it's kind of like so many others are going to grass-fed, pasture-raised Hogs and cattle. No, I'm definitely not a commercial hog farmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we. Um, it's just a small. We started small. We actually had a demand. People were asking for it, and uh, we've kind of just went to there and kind of grew into it. Try to keep it to the same size as as the customer base, mm-hmm. and uh, and then all of that we got into the the pumpkin patch and agritourism business. And and ten years ago. There, agritourism was a word people, most folks didn't even know what it was. Um, we kind of got in. Uh, we had a lot of help from the Extension Service and trying to get this all together. And and uh, we try to add something each year, which sometimes that's difficult because, you know, you you got you think, well, what would the people want to do? You know, what what's neat uh, for the kids and and what would work in this this environment? Yeah, but you've got a lot of space. You've got land. I mean, when you talk about your corn maze, uh, seven acres, that's huge for people to wander through. <laughs> they think maybe it's not that big, but Rebecca, talk about how, and I think you're the one that kind of designs the uh, corn maze every year, and that's an engineering feat. I mean, on the ground, you really can't appreciate what it looks like from the air. So every year, uh, I design the design for the corn maze. Um, I change it up every year. It's not the same design. We cut my design uh, into the corn with the zero-turn lawnmower, so the paths are about five feet wide to walk on. Um, so you never know. You might go through that entrance, and last year you turn left, and this year there might that might not be an option. Uh, this year's design is dedicated to our 10th birthday, um, and we just make it about something in the community every year. Um, we keep our past designs uh, hanging on the wall in the building so you can see every year since we started its design. Um, we kind of started with a little three-acre maze, and it's grown and grown every year. In the past few years, um, we've done the seven-acre maze. Um, I'm trying to convince Kevin to maybe let me have a little more ground. Uh, so maybe maybe one day I can get it up to double digits in the acreage. Um, it stresses me out to no end because I want it to be perfect. Um, 
the concept of drawing a corn maze is a lot simpler than what the reality of drawing a corn maze is. Um, but I did the design, and then, like Kevin said, uh, we work really closely with our county extension agents, and they help us get what's in my brain cut into the corn. Um, we've, in the past, um, put hole punches in the design, uh, six different stations where people can walk around and punch their cards um once they find all six they turn them in we do a drawing each weekend for a gift card um one of the changes that we had to make this year is not having um hole punches that everybody could touch so this year's in the corn there's going to be qr codes uh you scan them with your phone when uh you get to the end of the maze, you'll, you'll fill out a form just like you would if it was on paper with your name and your address. And then the computer can pick a winner every weekend for the gift card. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun, add a new element um, that we haven't had in the past. So uh, talk about how you've had to adapt. Now, the pandemic is restricting the size of crowds uh, that we can have in almost any public event you know at the football games they're limiting the sides of the crowds in the arenas and the stadiums uh they did that here uh up until right now they're limiting the size of the livestock shows and the crowds that can come to fairgrounds just to prevent the spread of the of the virus so kevin now what did you have to do in order to be able to uh to continue on with your pumpkin patch and corn maze event this year well we changed up our our entrance and our exit used to be in the same part of the of the farm premises but we've changed that up to divide that where that you enter in one spot exit in the other just to, to keep from there being such a congestion there um, we want to do whatever it takes um, we've added um, some hand wash sinks uh, just to extra hand sanitizing stations uh, we are going to require if you're if you can't be six foot apart, you need to have a mask on, especially you have to have one on on our hayride, or if you're in the building, um, we need you to wear your mask. We want people to come out. We want you to have a good time. We know the mask is aggravating, but it's okay. If it's what it takes to get through this pandemic, let's do it and get this over with. Well, and you're going uh, the extra mile to, to do that and to ensure people are safe. And when other farm families that have had similar activities are saying, well, we're going to wait until 2021. We just won't even open this year. And that's unfortunate because it is a tradition. People look forward to coming. So, uh, Rebecca, tell me about all the different elements. We we keep talking about a corn maze and pumpkin patch that people can, can buy and go home with the pumpkin. But what else do you have out here for families? Okay. So last year we added zip lines. So we have zip lines for the little kids. Um, we have swings. We have giant sand pits that have been a hit from day one. Um, so we hide gold coins in the sand. The kids can turn the gold coins in inside for treats. Um, so we'll still have that again this year. Um, we have a music garden, which our few neighbors that we do have absolutely love. Um, so kids get to make all kinds of noise. Um, we have a giant slide. We also have some smaller slides for the little guys and a rock climbing wall for them. And we have a pedal cart track, um, beanbag tosses. We have the hippity hoppity corral. So, uh, kids can hop around, um, on some little ride on balls. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, we have tetherball, we have volleyball, we have giant yard games, Jenga, checkers, tic-tac-toe, um, we have tons of photo opportunities. Um, we have all kinds of farm animals in our barn. We have pony rides for the little kids. That's included in admission. Um, we have a really nice hayride 
that takes you through the farm. And at the end of the hayride, you can jump off and shoot our corn cannon or do pumpkin chunking. Um, those are always big hits. We have lots of different activities going on. There's stuff for the little ones all the way up to um, grown adults. In fact, our mission price is divided, and it says ages 5 through 99. And uh, I'm always like, it's the big kids. And someone always says, well, what if I'm 100? I'm like, I will let you in for free. <laughs> <laughs> Come on out. We have tons of uh, hay bales that are painted like farm animals and just different fall scenes. Um we have a, one of our sheeps just had a baby a couple weeks ago, so we have a new baby sheep. We haven't named yet. Um, we have lots lots of things going on. We have amazing food. Um, we do have a cafe here. Um, one of the things that's really we're all passionate about is cooking and cooking good food. Um, even our boys are like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. So we have fresh hand-patted burgers. We cut our fries. Um, we do catfish, um, homemade coleslaw dressing, uh, family recipe, hush puppies. Everything you're going to get from us is going to be handmade. It's going to be delicious, and we're going to cook it fresh for you. Man alive, that's, that's just, you have, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at what you've already got. I can see the zip line over there. I see this little photo op, the big super giant for Paul Bunyan uh, bench you've got over here, a seat that you can take pictures on and uh, the playground for the children. But then in four days, this place is going to be transformed, Kevin. Yes, um, I've got to add one more thing. Now, she talked about that food. She didn't even mention the homemade pies. Oh, my. Oh. Yeah, we do homemade. We make hundreds of pies the month of October, but but yeah, we're gonna con- uh, this this place will be a lot of people in here this weekend. Pumpkins everywhere. We'll uh, we'll just have a really good time and bring out the family and and uh, have a good old family time on the farm with us. How many acres is your pumpkin patch? I know it's not right here on site where we are right this minute, but. Uh, how many are you growing, or how many were you going to be uh, selling out here? We grow th- uh, normally right around 30 acres of pumpkins. 30 acres? Yeah, we, uh, pumpkins are something that uh, 10, well, 10 years ago when I started, I knew nothing about <laughs> growing a pumpkin. Um, we've learned a lot. You know, we've had ups and downs <laughs> and good crops and bad, but the, the pumpkin deal, is, it's really neat. Um, we sell a lot of wholesale and retail pumpkins. We, we really trying to to continue to learn about growing pumpkins so you're growing for more than just your october event i mean you will sell wholesale to other you know businesses and and so if you go into cabot or or down into jacksonville we might find some of the hicks family pumpkins it's very possible we do sell wholesale pumpkins and then we sell pumpkins all the way through um, edible pumpkins through thanksgiving wow that's that's great well again so talk about how agritourism events like this you're 10 years in but you're got you're already seeing children grow up who were here 10 years ago they might have been six years old now they're going to be 16 this year and others uh it's fun when you see these families return year after year it most definitely is we see um kevin and i like to go out and his dad as well um like to go out and visit with families as they come and what we have learned is that we see We've seen kids come in as toddlers, and now, you know, they're junior high, high school age, and they're still coming back, bringing their friends with them. Um, we've had people that have worked for us as when they were in high school that are now coming back with their spouse and with their toddlers. Um, it's just been a great um, way to reach out to the community and to meet people, and then just to be involved in the community that Kevin and I are so passionate about and just continue to see the same faces year after year. 
and your own children are growing up into this. So, Kevin, there's going to be another generation coming along. I mean, they're helping you now. And uh, can you envision them being here 10, 20 years from now? Yes. I, and, and no telling with the, seems like with the way things evolve as quick as they do, who knows what this place will look like in 10 years? Who knows what we'll be doing? Or, I mean, 10 years ago, I never realized that I would be a, uh, spending so much time trying to learn how to grow pumpkins better each year so who knows what'll happen in 10 years but yeah i think it'll i think they'll they'll stay interested and uh, it seems to be a, a something that, that even um, extended family you know it's a time of the year that we all kind of meet and come back in and help and and it's just really a neat deal well i call these october events uh harvest festivals because they typically occur even though the cotton harvest is just getting ready to get underway and you mentioned you used to uh, grow cotton in your family years ago. That doesn't normally end until about the end of October, early November. But still, it's this time of year when the weather changes and you enjoy being outdoors. And it's a celebration of, of the farm way of life, isn't it, Rebecca? It most definitely is. We um, we grow corn and so we bundle our own corn stalks to sell we typically uh, grow wheat every year so the wheat straw that we sell to decorate is stuff that's grown on the farm so it's kind of the end of the fruition of you know when we get finished with the pumpkin patch we plant wheat for the next year and then that's the wheat straw that we're selling at the next pumpkin patch so it kind of goes year round for us but it's also kind of the the ending of a year and we're getting ready to begin the next year kevin uh just talking about growing your crops and you do have a few row crops but just our weather has changed over the last several years i talked to a lot of our rice farmers our corn farmers and and even cotton farmers i was on a cotton farm just uh, last week over in mariana and it was raining the day i was there (laughs) last thursday uh it's just been really really unusually wet how how has that you know affected your operation i mean you were just saying this yesterday morning you got another inch of rain here we're always having to wait for things to dry out, it seems. Yeah, it's it just not used to so much rain, but um, we just try to adapt and roll with it. And, uh, and I mean, rain is a, it's a good thing, but also it can uh, hinder us at times, too. Has it affected the quality of your crops at all or your operation here? Yeah, um, pumpkins don't really care for a lot of rainy days. They like, like to be hot and dry. They like drink, but they like it to be dry. But you're going to have a good crop again this year. We're looking forward now to an extended period of dry weather, hopefully over the next couple of weeks as you get into your event. And uh, hopefully those pumpkins will be really, really good. Yeah, I think we got a good crop this year. And uh, and uh, with the cooling off like it is, it sure makes it's a lot easier to get ready for a fall fest when it, it's not 100 degrees outside. <laughs> That's a fact. That is a fact. And we're grateful for that. So, Rebecca, just kind of tell us in your mind again, it's important for families to get out here. They're having a good time. They're going to enjoy the weekend, take a lot of pictures, but they're learning to appreciate Arkansas agriculture. Most definitely. One of the things that we add every year in our barn is um, some information facts about the breeds of animals that we have in there. Um, we try to, we edu- our employees are typically all um, farm-raised families. We uh, hire a lot of kids that are members of FFA. We have a lot of 4-Hers that work for us. Um, the 4-Hers come and do some projects over the summer to get their community service hours and help us. Um, so everyone around the farm is knowledgeable about what is going on. And so we really try to reach out to our families that are here visiting us um, to teach them 
So maybe they just walk away with a little bit more knowledge than what they came in with. Um, maybe learning where their food comes from, where their clothes come from, and uh, kind of just get a glimpse of our way of life and how blessed we really are. Well, I know a friend of mine several years back who has an operation similar to yours, raises cattle and beef and poultry uh, on, on his pastures. He says it's all about knowing your farmer, knowing your food, and and you know having trust in the fact that it's quality. Uh, you, you're raising your animals humanely, and uh, you're some of the most respected people. And now in this pandemic, when there, we earlier in the spring we had a lot of food shortages, we're not accustomed to having shortages of food in the grocery stores. People were kind of hoarding some food at times. Uh, the supply chain was interrupted. We've recovered from that somewhat now, but. Uh, they like to come out here and buy straight from you, don't they? I mean, you have customers that either you'll deliver to or they'll come out here and get their beef and pork. Yes, we've uh, we have had a, a good customer base for a long time, and uh, it did seem to uh, pick up tremendously. And we um, tried to, to, to fill the demand as much as we could for a local operation. Yeah, well, let's, let's wrap this up, Kevin, uh, our little conversation here for the benefit of our listeners uh, who may be living in the area and not familiar with the, what you're doing this for the next month. Tell us about the hours when you're going to be open and uh, kind of what they need to do to uh, come on out. Well, Rebecca, you want to do that for us? Okay, uh, when are you going to open up and... Uh, and how can people come find you? Okay, so we open this Saturday, which is October the 3rd. Um, our season this year runs through Saturday, October 31st. Um, we are open on Saturdays from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. And on Sundays from 1 p.m. until 6 p.m. And then this year, um, we decided to add an extra day. We're going to open on Fridays. So Friday afternoons from 1 to 6, starting not this Friday, the next Friday. So again, opening day, Saturday, the 3rd of October. Um, we have a Facebook page that we are updating continuously. Um, it's at Hicks Family Farms. And um, we also have a website, hicksfamilyfarms.com. Um, on our website has a link to the address on how to get here to find us. Okay. Um, it's pretty, uh, I think I have everything out there online. If you'll just Google search us, it'll even show you our hours and the address that way. Well, I'm excited. I'm thankful. It looks like we're going to have good weather for your opening weekend and for other operations like yours throughout the state uh, that are having these type of harvest festivals and agritourism events. And uh, agritourism is becoming a big, big deal uh, for farm families like yourselves to invite people out to get to know you as friends and to learn to appreciate our state's largest industry, Kevin. Yes, um, people don't realize that uh, there's farms all over. You know, there's there's different types, no matter where you're at in the state or in the country, that, that you've got to probably have a local farmer not far that would love to sell you a product or, or a lot of them invite you out to see their farm, to experience the lifestyle for just a little bit. That's great. Well, listen, thank you all for your time today, sharing your story with us, and letting me kind of learn a little bit more about your family farm. I've been talking to Kevin and Rebecca Hicks here at Hicks Family Farms between Lone Oak and Cabot. And we do invite you out. Go to their website, hicksfamilyfarms.com, or their Facebook page. Uh, Google directions. It'll direct you right here. And they'll open up this Saturday, and they'll be open all through the month of October here for their October uh, agritourism event here, their pumpkin patch and corn maze right here on Hicks Family Farm. It's been great talking with them on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's it for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next week with the latest news, interviews, and updates on Arkansas's largest industry.